Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of being a doer of the word on today's Simple Truths. Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, not well said. You can be saying all you want, but if I'm not living that truth, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. If I'm not a doer, I will not enter. God's desire is to do miraculous work in our lives that can only be brought about by walking in the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What do you get when man tries to improve upon God's plan? Well, according to Pastor Xavier, you get a mess. Today, he takes us back to the book of Galatians as he shows how God's plan for salvation far exceeds anything man could even conceive of doing. So right now, let's join him for today's important Bible study. The message is entitled, The Galatians Played the Fools. Here in chapter 3, Paul rebukes the Galatians, showing their folly of having believed the lies of those who had perverted the gospel of Christ. And he does this by arguing from their own faith experience. Let me read you the text. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Paul rebukes the Galatians for three things. First of all, Paul rebukes them because they had believed the gospel. Verse 1. Secondly, Paul rebukes them because they had received the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, Paul rebukes them because they had contradicted Scripture. Notice first the rebuke was due to the fact that the Galatians had not exercised discernment of heart or mind. The severity of his expression is clear. Oh, foolish Galatians. Paul is not being derogatory to this racial group. They had set aside the grace of God, saying Jesus died needlessly. You say, where does it say that? Look at chapter 2, verse 21. That's the transition from verse 16 on down to the justification he's going to talk about. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. What's he saying? You Galatians, by doing what you're doing, embracing what you're embracing, believing what you're believing, you are saying that Christ died in vain. Heavy. The motive behind Paul's words is love for them. Paul rebuked them because they had what? Believed the gospel. Have you believed the gospel? Then God holds you responsible. Now notice secondly, Paul rebuked them because they had received the Holy Spirit. First of all, verse 2. Paul's first question is whether they had received the Holy Spirit by the works of the law, or what is it again? 
the hearing of faith. Here's the contrast, works, faith, works, faith. Which way did you receive the Spirit? Every one of these questions is rhetorical. They have an obvious answer. Their experience of faith gave witness to the hearing of faith through the gospel resulting in what? The illumination of the Holy Spirit of God to understand the gospel message. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you may believe in God, but devils believe also. And they'll never be in heaven. I'm asking you if you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have not, then God has brought you here to hear this gospel. And as he's brought you to hear this gospel, he's also giving you the ability to understand the gospel. And at the end of this message, you're going to have a choice to make to accept Christ or to reject his message. One of the two. But you will have the ability to make the decision. And you'll have no excuse because he's not the author of confusion. Their experience of faith was superior to the old economy. It was administration of death. This was the ministration of life in the age of grace. Paul says, I find no good thing in me in Romans 7. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, holy, and just. The problem is me. So what the law could not do, because of the weakness of sinful flesh, God sent for the Son, made of a woman, under the law, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to condemn sin. Now notice secondly in verse 3. Paul's second question is, if faith is superior to law, are you so foolish, lacking in the power of perception, that having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? They had begun in the Spirit by faith in Christ, and now they were continuing what? Trusting works. The question is rhetorical, having an obvious answer. What is the answer to this? No. One cannot finish in the flesh what the Spirit has begun. The word perfect means mature, the intended goal, completion. It's an insult to the cross. It's an insult to the work of Christ. It's like you saying, well, you know, I appreciate your love and your generosity, Lord, but, you know, these guys need it, but I don't. That sounds kind of nasty that way, doesn't it? But that's exactly what we're saying. Paul's third question is, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed they were in vain? Paul is saying, have you suffered so much and now you're willing to give it up? Remember that Paul went on his first missionary journey in the area of Galatia. And what was the message he told him at Acts 14, 2 through 6 and 19 and 22? You must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. They had suffered. And Paul is saying, have you suffered in vain? Are you willing to give it up so easily now? Was it in vain? Of course not. Notice fourthly in verse 5. Paul's fourth question is from a concluding statement. The God who supplied the Holy Spirit to them and equally worked miracles among them, did he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul returns now to his original question in verse 2, which was what? This one only thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? His original question. He comes back to it right here. The answer again is obvious. What is it? By the hearing of faith. Faith, not works. God, not flesh. Telephone climbing is an art. In order to climb, one must have a belt that goes around the pole and wear some spiked shoes. The secret is to lean back and depend on the belt so the spikes in the shoes dig into the pole. It is hard to learn. Often a beginner 
slides down the splintery pole because he won't depend on his equipment. He, he, he doesn't want to trust in it. It's scary. So he leans in. So down he goes. It only takes a few such experiences to convince the beginner that it is better to depend on the belt. <laughs> you lean back on that belt, you're secure. You lean forward, you're going down, man, hard. Such is the Christian life of faith. God wants us to climb into that belt, climb depending on Him, leaning on Him and the Holy Spirit that He gives us. Whenever we get a handful of splinters or a face full of splinters or a belly full of splinters, it's a pretty good indication that we're depending on flesh. You need to lean back. You need to depend upon Him. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit when they receive Christ. And he's to depend upon Him daily. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. He says He's a comforter, one just like me. He will come, I will send Him, the Father will send Him, He'll abide in you. He's a spirit of truth. He won't speak of Himself. He won't glorify Himself. He'll lead you, He'll teach you, He'll guide you. He will be just like me. We are to walk in the Spirit. We're sealed with the Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 says. Every believer becomes a Christian by the Holy Spirit, and he must finish in the Spirit. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident in this very same thing, that he who has begun a good work in you shall perform it to win. The day of Jesus Christ. He begins, he finishes it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. The architect, the developer, if you will. Every believer needs to recognize that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish the new life. Not ritual, not formality. Look what he says in Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do that which you would. But if you are led of the spirit, if you are under the law, and are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to me. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to me. Examine this list. If your manner of lifestyle is a practice and it falls into this category, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. If this is where you live, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. I don't care if you tell me you stepped up at an altar call to Billy Graham or... Xavier Reese or anybody else. If this is where you live, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. We're not perfect. And when you fall in the mud, get up, confess your sin, and have Jesus hold you off. It's not a sin to fall in the mud. The sin is to stay in there and waddle and live there. And if you live there, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's very clear. Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, not well said. You can be saying all you want. I can be preaching all I want. I can be telling truth all my life. But if I'm not living that truth, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. If I'm not a doer, I will not enter. But the doing is of the work of the Spirit, not of me. It's fruit. We must walk in the Spirit. Now, some of you have experienced the miraculous work of God in your life. And you've turned away from it and now have embraced the former things that held you in bondage, living in your own power. 
Paul says this clearly in chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. Listen to him. He says, but then, indeed, when you did not know God or serve those which by nature are not God's, but now after you have known God or rather are known of God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days, months, seasons, years, so on and so forth. Oh, God, help us. If you're out there messing with those former things, you're going to be in bondage again. You must be crucified with Christ, chapter 2, verse 20, so that he can live through you. You go back to those beggarly elements, you're going to be in greater bondage. Peter says it would be better that you have never have known him because the latter end will be worse than the first. And we've all seen it at one time or another in people's lives. Some of you are walking in human reason and understanding, thinking that you have it all together, figured out and under control, without recognizing that what you're doing is you're sowing to your flesh and you will reap. He goes on to that in chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap what? Everlasting life. So let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, Romans 13, 11 through 14 says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dishonesty in business. Flirting with your passions, being unequally yoked with boyfriend or girlfriend or even marriage. Be careful. Remember that the children of Israel experienced miracle after miracle, and yet they constantly wanted to turn back away from God to Egypt. Why? Because they remembered the leeks, the onions, the melons, but they forgot the whip and the taskmasters. You see, the world looks good, but we forget the whip and the taskmaster. We allow them to deceive us. Paul rebuked them because they had what? Received the Holy Spirit. Third and last, notice Paul rebukes them because what? They contradicted Scripture. And this is the heart of it. This is the bottom line, people. Paul rebuked them because they had contradicted Scripture. Paul, the apostle, has shown the Galatians from their threefold faith experience of believing the gospel, receiving the Holy Spirit, and experiencing miraculous intervention that it was due to the hearing of faith and not the works of the law, from verse 1 through 5. Now he says, Abraham believed God by faith as they had. Just as Abraham believed God. That is unheard of. That Paul would dare to put a Gentile next to Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham was trying to work out how God might fulfill his promise of an heir. In Genesis 15, 1 through 6. In Genesis 1, 15, 1 through 3, he says, All I have is Eliezer, my servant, God. And God told him in verse 4 of Genesis 15, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come of your own body shall be your descendant. Abraham, I know you're old. I know Sarah's womb is dead, but I'm God. It's going to come from your own union, from her womb, your loins. Trust me. It's a promise. And then God brought him outside and asked him if he can count the stars of the heavens, and so would his descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. What was? His belief in the promise of God. Not his works. He had done nothing. As a matter of fact, if you look at the chronological life of, of Abraham, at this time, he was still uncircumcised. Paul has just destroyed the golden calf of the Jews. 
You know, it's good when God tears down our golden calves. Sometimes we, instead of quoting the scripture, we quote men. Well, pastor so-and-so says, well, who's he? Tell me what the scriptures say. They're the authority. He believed contrary to hope, not wavering at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, Romans 4, 17 through 22 says. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what? Things not seen, Hebrews 11, 1. And Hebrews 11, 6 says those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is the reward of those who what? Diligently seek him. You see, Paul uses Abraham throughout the doctrinal section to illustrate and prove justification by faith apart from the works of the law, which came what? 430 years after the fact. Now notice verse 7. Abraham's sons are what? Are those who come by the hearing of faith only. This is the clear conclusion. There can be no other. Not by physical descendants, not by ritual circumcision, not by the works of the law, not by anything, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 26, and many, many other places in Galatians. Jesus said to the Jews, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham in John 8, 39. Your father is the devil. Whoa, pretty heavy words. Jesus, meek and mild. Your father is the devil. Why? Because they were twisting scripture. They were professing things contrary to scripture. God honors his word above his name. Remember that. Notice secondly, verses 8 and 9. Abraham was the man through whom salvation would come to the Gentiles. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles from the beginning. The scriptures are the revelation of God, his will, his purposes, his plans for man's redemption. The scriptures are God-breathed, inerrant, infallible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scriptures given by inspiration, theopanuso, God-breathed, expire literally. Profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. All scripture. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, The men of old did not speak of their own origin, their own impulse, their own decision, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God so that you could have the infallible, inerrant truth and you can count on it for all eternity. You understand that? You embrace that? The scriptures are all that God will ever hold us responsible for. If a policeman gives you a ticket on the way home today and he writes you up for a citation that doesn't exist in the vehicle code and you go to court, they'll throw it out. When you get up before God, he's not going to say, okay, now, tell me, are there aliens or not? <laughs> he doesn't say nothing about them. He won't hold you responsible for that. He's going to hold you responsible for what he has revealed. Genesis to Revelation. Listen to this. Paul says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. Is that crazy or what? You tell that to some, most Christians. They say, ah, where does that say that? God preached the gospel to Abraham. What gospel? The gospel of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, interprets the text of Genesis here to mean Blessings of justification, not mere material blessings or anything else. The topic and context here is justification by faith, not law. Where and how did God do this? Where did he preach to Abraham? Listen to the words of Jesus, John 8, 56. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it, and he was bummed out. No, he was glad. It could have been when Melchizedek met him as he returned from recovering the captives of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many believe that Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. Possibility. 
We don't know. But another place that might also be the place where he preached to Abraham is Genesis 22, when God said, Offer me your son, your only son, Isaac, on the mount. And Isaac is going three-day journey. Interesting, Jesus was in the grave three days. They get to the foot of the mountain. Abraham says to his servants, By the way, I and the lad, we're going to go yonder and worship, and we will return. And there goes Isaac up the hill. He's got the wood on his back, a type of the cross, a type of Jesus Christ, the son. Abraham, a type of God, the father. They're walking up, and he says, Father, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Isaac was sacrificed somewhere in Mount Moriah, and Jesus Christ was sacrificed in the very peak of that mountain. 2,000 years later, I believe maybe that's the more appropriate place where he preached the gospel to him. But whether we're right or wrong, or whether we had text or not, Paul, how the Spirit of God says, God preached. And if it says God preached it to Abraham, hey, that settles it. God can't lie. Paul declares that those who are of faith are well spoken of with believing Abraham in verse 9. The word blessed, we get our word eulogy from it, to speak well of. We do it every time we have a funeral. Someone eulogizes somebody. Well spoken of are those who have come to God through faith like the faith of Abraham. They believe the revelation of God in faith in the finished work of his son, which was the promise of the father. He's already told us that in chapter 3, verse 16. A penis cartoon pictured Lucy and Linus looking out the window at a steady downpour of rain. Boy, said Lucy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It will never do that, Linus replied confidently. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. You've taken a great load off my mind, said Lucy with a relieved smile. Sound theology, pontificated lioness, has a way of doing that. Our faith in God must be a scriptural faith for it to be biblical. Your experience, your profession, what you believe must be verified and always be subordinate to the authority of Scripture so that you are like a good Berean in Acts 17, 11. They received the Word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures to find out if those things were so. Your experience means absolutely nothing if it contradicts Scripture. I don't care how real it may be. Scripture's the standard. God rejects our own righteousness. It's as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 says. The whole world's guilty before God, Romans 3.20. And so Paul rebuked them because what? They had contradicted Scripture. Let's allow Paul's threefold rebuke to the Galatians to warn us and to instruct us. Have you believed the gospel message and perhaps now are in the process of being bewitched, fascinated by something in the world or a perversion of the gospel? Have you come to the place where you trust in your flesh or human abilities to perfect that which God has begun and alone can perfect through the Holy Spirit? Have you been contradicting the scriptures about your sonship or your experience to God by trusting in your own works rather than faith in the work of Christ? Then you need to examine. You need to ask some hard questions. And know that you stand on faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you do, then the Spirit of God abides in you, and you will not be the same as you depend upon Him. Lean back on that belt. You tired of living with a belly full of splinters? 
claim back. Let God do the work. Pastor Xavier Reese and the freedom that is available to all who surrender to the gospel. And today's message, The Galatians Played the Fools, is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Galatians Played the Fools, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and mention the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This helps us track the impact of this outreach in your area. What happens when you cross the line drawn by grace? The answer coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 